Thanks for listening to the podcast from Jonathan Combs and the preaching team at Eastgate Church in Rocky Mount, North Carolina. Check us out on the web at eastgate.church for more. And now, here's the sermon. All right. Good morning, church. Thank you for being here today. I'm so thankful to see you. I hope you had a wonderful Thanksgiving with your friends and family and ate too much like I did. That way I don't feel alone about that. Um, I don't want to feel lonely about what the, the gluttony I practiced this week. I, I think the Lord's going to be okay with it. I ate quite a bit, but it was all good stuff. You know, you've got some of those relatives, I bet you do, or maybe even in your own household where if you don't try their stuff, you're going to be in trouble. So you've got you to try all the stuff. That's how my mother works. You've got to try everything. And she's going to ask you while you're biting it how it was. And she always is kind of preemptive on this. I'm like, I'm literally putting it in my mouth. I don't know yet. It looks good. Uh, but I think it's going to be good. So anyway, it turned out well. It was a good Thanksgiving. It's a lot, there's a lot that we could be thankful for right now. And that's really going to be the, the goal of the sermon today is us dealing with this idea of gratitude and joy and peace. And what does it look like to have an attitude, if you will, a, a, an ongoing attitude of gratitude, if you will. So having Thanksgiving as kind of the centerpiece of your life. And we're going to be in the book of Philippians chapter 4 today dealing with one of, you know, a very encouraging passage. So if nothing else today, I do pray you're going to walk out of these doors feeling ready, encouraged, maybe not overly challenged, feeling good about yourself as well you should. And so I have to admit something, though. When I, when I really think about life, when I think about what I faced this year, what we faced together, sometimes it can be very challenging to be thankful, if we're honest. There's a lot of negativity that's readily available to you and maybe... You already have a natural disposition, some of us do, towards being more pessimistic, more negative about things, and that is the nature of some people, and it can be very difficult to be thankful, and there's a lot of challenges that we face, both personally and in the world. If you turn on the news for five seconds, you're going to be challenged with whether or not you should be or could be thankful. I want (laughs) to... pause for a minute and give you some of the reasons why maybe you're struggling with Thanksgiving right now. Let's, let's look at just 2023. We could go back further and really have some challenging times together, but let's just look at what we faced this year together, and this is just five things. I could list a hundred. Five things, number one, maybe for you, something you've observed, is wars and rumors of wars. Uh, there's an ongoing war with Russia and Ukraine. It has escalated this year. Some talking heads are saying it's going to escalate to a world war. Who knows? That's a scary thought. Hamas attacked Israel just a few weeks ago, leading to this major conflict we're in right now. That's going on, and that's just the major stuff you're hearing about. There's wars all over the world occurring right now. Number two, we've got these foreign entities who are spying on us through social media. They sent balloons over this year. You remember that? There was wonderful balloons flying around, and they flooded our streets, I'm hearing, with fentanyl. There's a growing epidemic of fentanyl coming from foreign entities. There were... Enough mass shootings this year, there were more, I read, more mass shootings than there were days of 2023. You didn't hear about them all. Some of them, uh, the media didn't care to cover for whatever reason. They, this is my opinion. They, carry to, they care to cover certain things for certain reasons, but anyway. There were tons of these. Lewiston, Maine just occurred, 18 dead. Allen, Texas, 9 dead. There was a Christian school in Nashville, Tennessee. Three teachers, three children. There was that Uvalde incident, 19 children were killed. 
Just horrible stuff. And that's the stuff going on outside of you. Let's not forget the stuff that's going on inside your very home. Did you know that this year we hit a 40-year inflation high? 40 years since we've hit this point. Gas seems like it's more. It doesn't just seem that way. It actually is. Food is more. Rent is more. Mortgage rates are up. Moody Analytics said the average family is spending about $700 more per month on the same goods and services as they were two years ago. 700 more a month. Antidepressant usage, just so you know, has increased by over 40% in the last six years. That's a drastic increase. That sounds like a lot to be thankful for, huh? What a year. What a year from a news perspective. But perhaps, and I think you know this in your heart, but I want to challenge you with this. I want to encourage you with this, that true thanksgiving does not come from better circumstances. It doesn't. It doesn't come from everything being right. Maybe, maybe Thanksgiving is a spiritual muscle that has to be worked out. Perhaps it is possible to be truly thankful all the more in those dark days. I think that's true. Perhaps it's possible to even be joyful and thankful in a prison cell, unsure whether you'll be released or executed. That's the joy of the scripture today as we're in Philippians chapter 4, which is one of Paul's prison epistles. He writes this letter to the church at Philippi and now to us, by the grace of God, from prison. Not knowing and unsure of what will happen next. Will they execute him this time? Eventually they will. This is what Paul is facing in his life. And from the prison in Rome, the Apostle Paul encouraged believers in Philippi to put their faith into practice and that the God of peace would be with them. We can put our faith into practice and the God of peace will also be with us. How do we do this? I'm going to give you four exercises. This seems appropriate. We've got a little bit to work off after Thanksgiving. Here's four exercises to put your faith into practice from the book of Philippians. Chapter 4, let's read it together first. Chapter 4, verse 4, it says, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence... If there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And the God of peace will be with you. God bless the reading of his word. Amen. It begins first, and rightly so, with the word rejoice. The first exercise to put into practice into your daily life is rejoice in the Lord always. How often? Always, in every circumstance, up, down, valleys, mountaintops, rejoice in the Lord always. He summarizes this whole chapter, this whole passage of Scripture by saying, everything you've heard from me, everything you've seen, everything you've been taught, what? Put it into practice. What is the first exercise? Rejoice. Rejoice. There's a, there's a joy muscle, apparently, 
There, there's, there's, a, there's a rejoicing muscle. This, this is the first imperative in our text. That, is a, that means it's a command verb. This, this is one of those unique places where the Apostle Paul says it twice very quickly. He says, hey, rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say rejoice because I think for those in the back, those of you who couldn't hear it, rejoice. When? Always. Why? Because the Lord is good. Because your rejoicing is not in your circumstances because that would be foolish. Oh, Lord, thank you so much for my car breaking down this morning. I rejoice. No one does that. That's not realistic. You might do that with your lips, but you don't mean it in your heart. Oh, God, thank you for such a wonderful day. And you'll sarcastically say that to the Lord. And he can see through that. If your wife can see through it, if if your best friend can see through it, God can see through it. Trust me. Rejoice where? In the Lord always. That is, no matter the circumstances, if it's good, if it's bad, I can look at him and go, this is, this is okay because I know he's got this. I know he's got me and there's a point in this. There's, there's something he's at work doing. I love what McLaren has to say about this. Going, going back again and looking at who is writing this and how they might be able to write this. He says, this entire epistle, that is, all of Philippians could be summed up in two short sentences. I rejoice, so you rejoice. I rejoice, so you rejoice, he says, could sum up all of Philippians. And this is all the more remarkable, he says, if we remember the apostles' circumstances. He's a prisoner. He's dependent now on Christian charity for a living. He's uncertain. In fact, he quotes this, how it shall be with me. And he's obliged to contemplate the possibility of being offered up as a drink offering. That's in the book of Philippians on the sacrifice and service of your faith. He's here in this prison, unsure if this is the final days. And in those final moments, gosh, I hope this is true of me. That in, if in my final moments, I might say, rejoice in the Lord always. Whether it's cancer that gets me, whether it's old age, whatever it is, maybe something quicker than all that, that in my last moments, I might say, as Paul said, rejoice in the Lord always. Rejoice in the Lord always. The Psalms, chapter 33, this is the Amplified. I like this because it added the word appropriate. It says, Rejoice in the Lord, you righteous ones. Praise is becoming and appropriate for those who are upright. Praise is becoming. That means it's, it's good to look at and it's appropriate. You ought to do it when you understand that your righteousness comes from God. I love what the writer of Habakkuk puts here in Rejoicing isn't dependent on the situation, but it's dependent upon the Savior. Look what Habakkuk writes in chapter 3. I don't quote Habakkuk much, so tune in. This is good stuff. Verse 17, it says, Though the fig tree does not bud, and though there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior, for the Lord The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. He was understanding something that we are working towards, something that we are being challenged by. And that is this. There is an overwhelming biblical truth that seems to be pointing to the fact that joy or rejoicing, that thanksgiving, that all of this stuff, these these things that pair so well together, none of them are as the result of better times. That true joy, true thanksgiving, true gratitude, rejoicing, these words are not based on better times. 
They're not. Now, you might be joyful in in those times, and so is 100% of everyone else. Everyone can figure out how to be joyful when things are going great. Everyone can do that. But only the righteous, it says, only the wise can be joyful in dark times. Why? Because the biblical truth is that it's based on your closeness with Christ. It's based on communion with God, not circumstance. This is the foundation of real gladness. Now, this might sound form, but honestly, if you would consider this in any other way, it makes total sense. Consider another truth. Take, let's take love, for an instance, because this is something we love to talk about. We love to talk about love. We sing about it. We sing about it more than just about anything else. We spend most of our money because of love. We like this word. We like this concept. And all of us, even the youngest person in this room, understands That love is not based primarily on the good times. It isn't. Not true love. True love, let me ask you this. Is true love the kind of love that is romantic when both people look their very best? Is true love kind when the other person is kind? Is it generous when the other person is generous? When the other person is behaving at their very best, you can manage to be your best. Is that true love? Well, sure, but it's only a very small, slight portion of true love. True love, in fact, somehow loves when the other person looks and acts their worst. That's true love. True love bleeds. True love perseveres. We know that in our heart, don't we? We know this. That I know I genuinely love this person. That's why our vows even say in sickness and in health. And all the more in sickness, really. All the more in challenge. We know this when it comes to love. We know this when it comes to just about any other attitude. Why do we think rejoicing would be any different? Why do we think thanksgiving would be any different? Am I only to be thankful when things are good? Absolutely not. Because my thanksgiving is based on the Savior, not the circumstance. And that changes everything. That, that means now I can ask this question, will I rejoice in the Lord always? Will I exercise my will to celebrate the Savior even when the crops don't yield? Or I do have an abundance, it matters not. It doesn't matter that I have a ton in my account or I have zero. I rejoice in the Lord in spite of these things. Because at the end of the day, I know neither of these things have eternal value. At the end of the day, I know what really matters is my relationship with Him. That's eternal. And So when I get that perspective now... I can have joy when no one else can. Here's the second command that Paul gives us. It's a strange one, I have to admit. Verse 5, he says, Let your reasonableness, that's a hard word to say, reasonableness be known to everyone. Just so you know, the verb, the command verb there, actually is the word be known. And so that will be your word today. Be known for the gentleness of of God. Now I changed the wording there on purpose. It's because almost every other translation, I'm, I have a habit of preaching out of the ESV, but just about every other translation uses the word gentleness rather than reasonableness. And I think that, that I understand why the translators chose this word here. However, when you unpack this word, it has more to do with the kind of person who gives grace, who, who shows uh, forbearance, who who has the ability to be mild and gentle and fair. And that's certainly an aspect of reasonable. But this idea that we are called to be gentle, that what what would be better than us to be known for this amazing attribute of God? 
This, this mildness, this gentleness, this meekness, if you will, this unbelievable grace. Right away you should be asking yourself the question that I'm asking both when I wrote it and now as I preach it is, what am I known for? How do people know me? Do they know me for gentleness, for grace, for mercy? Is that how I'm known? He, he says in, in another version, let your Philippians 4, 5, it says, let your gentle spirit, that is your graciousness, your unselfishness, your mercy, your tolerance, your patience be known to all people. Why? Because the Lord is near. The Lord is at hand. So why? That, it, he gives me the why right there is, it's both not only a challenge, but also encourage, encouraging. The first of all, the challenge is if the Lord is at hand, I very well want to be known for the gentleness of God if He's near. It, maybe this has to do with the fact that He's near in the sense that He can see me, true. That He's close to me, He's observing the way I'm living, this is all true. Maybe it also has the sense that, that he could return at any moment. The, this word he is at hand is translated in many other places that the Lord is near in the sense that he could be here at any moment. And I'd, I'd very, very much like him to catch me right here. Like I've said this many times, Lord, if, if you desire, come on the Lord's day. Come on a Sunday morning when I'm at my best because I'm at my worst at other times. And the Lord is near. I want so desperately to be gracious and merciful and patient when he returns. But there's, a, there's an encouragement there too. Because it could also mean this. He's near in the sense that he's right beside you. Walking with you. That no matter what you're facing. He is with you. And his gentleness, his grace, his mercy. His pouring out on you. And now can pour out through you. For the Lord is at hand. So put Christ's likeness on display and all the more since the day of the Lord is fast approaching. We don't know the hour, but we know this could be any moment. So let's live according to his purpose. Gentleness, uh, it's, it looks like a lot of things. I want to give you a couple of ideas because you may hear that word, especially men. You may hear this word and go, "Huh, I'm not sure I could even possibly be known for gentleness. Maybe you're kind of rough around the edges kind of person. Maybe, maybe you kind of, you're kind of a tough love kind of person. That doesn't mean you lack gentleness. It, it could mean that. But let's, let's put this thing into perspective. Titus, Paul writes to Titus in chapter 3. He says, To speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, to show perfect courtesy towards all people. This these are some of the aspects of what it means to show the goodness, the gentleness of God. If you've ever been around a person like that, you know just how life-giving a person like that can be. That, that You know when you talk to them, they're not going to speak ill of other people. And you can immediately conclude that they're not going to speak ill of you around other people. And that gives you a certain level of trust, certain level of confidence. You also know on the flip side, when you talk to somebody that's constantly bad-mouthing other people, you are hesitant to tell them anything. That's not a gentle person. A gossiping person is not a gentle person. A gentle person avoids speaking evil of anyone. Even when they very much deserve it. Because there are people that are evil and they deserve, they deserve to be talked about, I guess, but... The godly person, the one who's gentle, does not speak evil of even those who may deserve it. 
They avoid quarreling. Now, if you're in this room and you're like, man, I really like a good confrontation. I, I really like a good fight. I just want you to understand something. That's not, that's not a godly trait. Now, it, it, it may be some kind of weird you know, tendency of yours, some kind of thing that gives you joy, but I want you to understand that's something of your nature, of your flesh, not of God. This isn't the only place that it speaks of quarreling and avoiding it. Those, those of you in the room who really like a good fight, go ahead and lay that at the feet of Jesus for, for a little while and say, all right, talk to me about this. What is this in me? And hand that over to him. Here's another thing. Just earlier in the book of Philippians, gentleness looks a certain way. Paul writes, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. These are the things, this is the attitude, the goodness of God on display. It doesn't speak ill of others. It doesn't quarrel. It shows courtesy. It's humble. It's unselfish. You're thinking, okay, I got a good list there. I got some stuff to work on. So do I. By the power of God, by the, by the grace of God, that, hit, that he is near. And that's, again, draw back to the good news. This isn't a, oh, Jonathan, go out and do good works. You can do better. Hunker down. No, it's the Lord is near. Walk with him. Let his gentleness pour out to you and through you. Put his grace on display. Jesus asks a very interesting question. This has always been a fascinating section of Scripture where he asks his disciples, Who do the people say that the Son of Man is? And the disciples replied, Some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, others say Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. Then he asked them, Jesus asked them, But who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, true, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. They knew who he was. Now here's what's true. People know, even to this day, people know that Jesus is unique. That, he, that he's, he's different. And those at a distance from him, and this is still true even today, those who are distant from Jesus think him a great prophet. Think him a good man. Many of the world religions believe this about Jesus, that he's a prophet, he's a good person. And that's true in the first century. But he's asking you, as he's asked his disciples, who do you say that I am? They knew something better. Those who spent time with him and who were close to him knew something more. They knew him as Savior. And then this wonderful thing occurs, and this is the point of why I'm telling you this. This wonderful thing occurs after the, the, the death and resurrection of Jesus where he's now ascended and sent his disciples out to pro, pro, proclaim the gospel. This is in the book of Acts chapter 4. The, the disciples Peter and John were brought before this large Jewish Jerusalem council and they're being questioned and they're defending the gospel there. And here's what it says in Acts chapter 4 verse 13. They saw the boldness of Peter and John and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. They recognize that they had been with Jesus. Jesus is asking you, who do you say that I am? Well, all right, I believe you're the Savior and the Messiah. Well, now, who do people say that you are because of that? Do they say, and I pray this is true, do people say of you, I can tell you're spending time with Jesus. Are you known for the goodness of God? The gentleness, the grace of God, are you known for that? The reasonableness of God, are you known for that? Who do people say that you are? 
Would they be amazed? Would they recognize that this person has joy when there should be no joy? This person has peace. This person never speaks ill of anyone when they have every right to. They've been mistreated. But this person, I can tell they're spending time with Jesus because they're different. I pray that's true of me. I pray that's true of you. I want you to do an exercise today, if you will. It's a simple exercise. We've done something like this before, but you've got to have lunch here in a little while, probably with your kids, with your parents, whoever. Do this exercise really quickly. Ask everyone at the table to describe you with one word. Please describe me with one word and be sweet. Again, we're all showing each other the gentleness of God, but maybe this would be revealing. Maybe some of you will get the word impatient. Maybe some of you will get the word prickly. Maybe some of you will get the word joy. I don't know. It's a good exercise to have with your families because here's what I know. Especially if you still have little kids, they don't have a good filter. And sometimes that can be very helpful. Who do you think daddy is? One word. Give daddy one word. Daddy, you're mean. Okay, got to work on that. Got to work on that. Here's the third exercise. The first two, remember, rejoice. Number two, be known for gentleness. Number three, the third exercise, pray for everything with thanksgiving. Now, Paul has really just unloaded in this text a bunch of like universal statements. Be be rejoicing in the Lord always, always. There's never an instance where you don't have joy because of Jesus. Number three, there's never a situation where you can't pray. There's never something too big or too small that doesn't deserve prayer. Pray for everything with thanksgiving. He comes right out of the gate with a negative imperative, a negative command, and says, do not be anxious. And that really strikes at the heart of so many of us where we struggle greatly. We know this as a people. We are the most anxious people that, that at least Americans have ever been, statistically. We are an anxious people. And perhaps, perhaps in a lot of cases, it's because of a lack of prayer. But for some of us in the room, it's more than that. And I want to really get at that today. Because do not be anxious is what he tells us to do. He says, about anything, this is first universal statement, don't worry about anything. Okay, that's quite a blanket statement. That's a tough one. And if he'd have left it there, we'd fail. Every time, 100% of the time. But he didn't leave it there. And I want, to, I want to give you a logical proof that everything you worry about, dump it. Instead, take all of that and turn it into prayer. Now, you're going to begin that process if you don't have that process of all of your worries still look like worries, but you're sending them up. And you may think in those initial moments, like, God, you really don't want to hear all this stuff. You don't, you, surely you don't want to know all this crazy stuff that's going through my head. But you will find that if you build a habit of turning worry into prayer, something amazing happens. And that's exactly the point that Paul is making here, that the peace of God is underneath that. And he says something really cool. He says in in verse 5, hey, be known for the gentleness of God. And then he says, let your prayers be made known to God. You're going to be known. People are going to see you, and they're going to see Jesus in you. And what is he going to see? He's going to see your mess. I'm going to put put Christ on display, but between me and him, I'm I'm just bearing it all so he can see this hot mess that I am. 
There's a lot going on that ain't right inside of me. And I'm going to reveal all of that to him. And it's interesting just how much he loves that. That, that is a fascinating thing about the God we serve, that the God of the universe would care enough to hear your details. I struggle, I have to admit, I struggle to hear all of the little details my wife has to offer every week. I struggle with that. I don't care about all the details. Is that a bad thing? Kinda. It shows that I'm a little bit selfish still. I'm still working this stuff out. But God cares about all the little details of all of us little ones. It's a fascinating thing that God would love us this much. That he would care enough to say, in everything pray. Everything? Everything. Surely you don't care that I don't have enough gas to put it in, enough money to put gas in my car today. Surely you don't care about that, God. So you turn that into worry and you just, oh my goodness, I don't know what I'm going to do about that. But instead, when I take that anxiety and put it over here and give it to him, go, I got no solutions for this one. I'm, I'm, I'm in trouble right now financially. My marriage is in trouble. And, and those are big things. And there could be small things like, God, I got to take a test today. I studied, but like I'm nervous about it. Yeah, he cares about that too. He's also the kind of convicting sort of God that I had in college and in seminary where I would say, God, help me with this test. And I would feel him chime right back in and say, you didn't really study. So don't expect much. Fair enough. Fair enough. Got to do my part. Pray about everything with thanksgiving. This heart of gratitude underneath our prayer says something. It says that in spite of what we're asking, in spite of what we're praying, we know that God has his best in mind for us. We're, grat- we're grateful even before God moves. We're grateful to begin prayer. Now, I could go back to the book of Hebrews, and, and really we should look there for just a moment to just say, why is it that I can be grateful just to be in prayer? Let me remind you that now we get to pass behind the veil because in Christ Jesus, now I get to go in the holy place where God is seated on his throne. I get to go to that place and ask anything of a great and holy God. That's why even before God has spoken, even before he has answered, I am already grateful. I'm just grateful that I get to be in his presence. That he cares enough to hear from me. That he doesn't kick me out of that room as well he should. I'm already grateful. And I can come into that place and say, Lord, whatever your will is, you do that. I'm just happy that I get to lay it at your feet. And the more that I do that, even before God has moved on any of of the things I desire, even before there's any needs that have been met, I'm already feeling anxiety slip away. Because I'm already coming to that place knowing I've given it to the person who can do something about it. I could talk to my wife all day about this. I can talk to my friends and my family. And they may have great advice. They're going to give me all kinds of people I trust. They'll give me great advice. But when I lay it at his feet, I know this is someone who can do something about this. And then what happens? Verse 7, the peace of God which surpasses. This means it goes beyond what I could imagine. And it guards And this is what I need more than anything. And this is, I believe, what we need more than anything is not just a peace that surpasses, but a peace that puts up a wall. 
a piece. This is a military term here that means to protect as in a military guard, to prevent hostile invasion. The peace of God can do this in you. And what, what accesses that? What makes it happen? What's the catalyst? Prayer. Which is the very reason that so many of us struggle in this very area because the evil one, the world, whatever it is that's at your wall right now, beating, it on, beating on that wall is saying prayer doesn't work. Stop doing it. You're wasting your time. You've prayed a bunch of times. Have you ever heard God speak? You ever seen God move? Maybe you have, but you're forgetting that right now and they're beating on the wall because prayer is what puts up the guard so that the peace of God can say, no, 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 no. I got this. The peace of God then puts up a wall. So pray often and about everything, consistently with thanksgiving. This is what Paul writes to the Thessalonians. He says in chapter 5, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. He says to the Colossians, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. To the Ephesians, he writes, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I hope you're getting the idea without ceasing. Continue steadfastly in it. Always giving thanks with thanksgiving. Now, this past week, I have to admit, as I was wrestling this, because an area of a consistent struggle for me is the, the, the discipline of prayer, the, the attitude of prayer that I, I have wrestled with constantly in my life. And I think it's because, I, I should say, I know it's because it's the place where God is ready to stir my heart. It's the place where he's ready to empower me and set me on a course that, God, that, that, that the evil one can't stop. So it's the very place where I struggle. Because it's the, that's where the power lies right there in my time, closer union with Christ. And so... I begin asking this question this week, can prayer really, can it really affect my anxiety? Can it really destroy worry? Because everything I read about the subject, every time I would go to a commentator or some other person writing on verse 6 of Philippians chapter 4, they're saying the same thing over and over again, that, that prayer cures worry, that prayer overcomes worry and destroys it. And that Seems pretty true on the text, but is it true for me? Is it true in my life? And Brother Adam Purvis, me and him studied this week. He's preaching at our Wilson campus today. And we spend a large portion of our time really exercising on this. <laughs> really, the exercise of prayer was maybe the thing we spent the most time on because I needed to debate for myself whether this was true. And here's the conclusion I came to. A single prayer does not overcome worry. Follow me for a second. A one-off, I haven't prayed in 10 years, I'm throwing a prayer in, will likely not overcome worry. He is not speaking of one-offs here. He is speaking of what you might call prayerfulness. What you might call a discipline of prayer. That is, a discipline of prayerfulness then overcomes worry. Now, again, let me paint a logical argument. This is true in every other area of your life. It should not be surprising that when you pray a one-time prayer, maybe nothing happens. Now, here's what's wild. 
God sometimes shows you an incredible amount of grace to relieve your problem after prayer number one. He can do that. He does do that sometimes, and it's a baffling thing that he does. But he usually doesn't. He usually doesn't, and here's why. Because he's more interested in Christ's likeness than he is fixing problems. Because your problems are actually not external, they're internal, and it takes a lot of work to fix those. He can fix all your little out stuff. Oh, I don't have enough money. Oh, my relationships aren't going well. Oh, my career's in, in shambles. All oh, this, this. He can fix all that stuff, but will it fix you? Sometimes we got to go through a real mess before we can fix what's going on in there. So he's patient. God is patient in prayer with you because he knows you need something more than you're asking. You need something bigger than what you're asking for. And so it seems like he's not moved yet, and it's because you're, you're not praying about the right thing yet. Now, here's why this is true. Because it's true in every other avenue of your life. Let me give you a couple. Okay, we, just, we all just ate an absolute ton, and we got some work to do, all right? We just full on, I ate so much sweet potato casserole, y'all. It's dangerous, okay? I'm probably going to be breathing that for a while, but... We know this already. I can't, I can't go eat one really healthy meal today and expect to have solved my diet. Oh, I ate a healthy meal. Hallelujah. Look what I did for lunch. I had all the greens. Boy, I got it just right. No dressing even. I just ate it dry. Just miserable. Because, And I'm going to talk to the Lord about this maybe hundreds of years into heaven. I don't know. Once you know, things kind of calm down a little bit. Like, God, why did all the really, really healthy foods taste terrible? Can we talk about that? Why was ice cream not the most nutritious item that could be eaten? That's just my thought on that. But I know this. I could eat the most perfect meal. I could get everything right. I could spend the whole day eating right, and this stuff's not going to just fall off. It's going to take days, weeks, months, years of eating right. I know this too. I can't just go to the gym today and expect to just be able to lift what I could lift 20 years ago. It ain't going to happen. I can try. It's going to look real bad. It's probably going to hurt real bad. I may be permanently hurt. I already know this and so do you. So it's confusing to me that we would think, I haven't talked to you in I don't know when, God. I need you to fix this today. Probably not how it's going to go. But here's the good news. That's where it starts. It starts with that first prayer. And it starts with an attitude of gratitude coming before him. First of all, if, if this is where you are today and you've not ever had a discipline of prayer, prayerfulness is not something about your life. It starts with the first prayer where you come before him saying, God, I know we've really never talked. But I do believe and I do trust you. And I am grateful for all you've done for me. And I've got this big mess. And God, I would love... To see your hand at work in this. And I'm going to do that today. I'm going to do that tonight. I'm going to do that tomorrow. And then something's going to develop. Just like if I start eating right. Just like if I start working out. Just like if I do these little bitty new things in my relationships with people. Oh, I'm going to make a decision today. I haven't talked to my, to my mother in a very long time. I'm going to call her today. I'm going to call her later this week. And we're going to start working on something we've never talked in a long time. Now, that's not true of me. I'm just giving you an example. My mom texts me like almost every day. It's, it's a lot. <laughs> but it's good. I'm glad that's the kind of relationship we have. 
There's, these are the ways that everything else in your life work, and it is also how spirituality, how your prayer life works. It takes prayerfulness. So where do you take your worry right now? Because right here's what I know for sure. All of us are in a state of worry at times, and we're doing something with it. Maybe it's our spouse that receives it. Maybe it's the kids who receive it. They don't know it was worry. They just see anger. They don't know that it was worry. They see frustration or throwing things. Where's your worry going right now? You might as well, since you're already doing it, take it to the place where something can be done. Here's the fourth exercise. I got really excited on that one, and now I'm technically out of time, but here we go. Fourth exercise. Think about anything worthy of praise. This is how he concludes his message to the Philippians, with an explosion of superlatives. With just an explosion of positive words. From true to commendable to worthy of praise. He says, whatever is true, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely. I mean, what a wonderful list. And all of that, here's your command. Think about them. Verse 8, think about this stuff. Now, this is quite an exercise. And then he concludes with verse 9. And all of this, the rejoicing, the praying, the, the being known for gentleness, the thinking about all of this, put it into practice. Put your faith into practice. Let it not just be something that sits over here in a concept, but it's something you actually do. Now, what are these eight things? It's amazing to me. I, if I was writing this letter, I'm not sure I would have come up with eight things. I would have been like, you know, whatever's great. Whatever you can praise, what, he comes up with eight things that are very different. True and honorable and just and pure and lovely. And If you challenge yourself to take that list and go, okay, I'm going to put an answer to every one of those, you may start to see your mindset change. I, I can almost guarantee you that something may shift in you, at least when it comes to gratitude, that when you take a moment and step back and say, okay, let me put some answers to that list. What's true in my life? What's honorable? In fact, Paul writes in another section, Colossians chapter 3, almost the very same thing. He says, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ and God. You're not what you were. You're a new creation. You're already, you're already with Him. He is already near. He is with you. So set your minds on things above, things that are true and eternal and permanent. So let's do the exercise for just a second. Let me offer you a few things that are true for me as they're true for you. What is true? Well, here's one. God loves me and you in spite of us. That's true. God loves the world so much that he sent his one and only son. That's true. What is honorable? I'll tell you something honorable, that someone else would die in my place. That is honorable. That Jesus, the Son of God, would take my place on the cross. That he would take my sin, that's honorable. What is just? Well, this is certainly what Christ has done. He has appeased the wrath, the justice of God on the cross. That's just. What is pure? <laughs> this one made me think of a song. Jesus paid it all, where it ends in that chorus line, though sin had left a crimson stain, he washed me white as snow. This is an amazing thing that pure is exactly what I am, and I have a hard time seeing that in the mirror. 
And yet in God's eyes, he sees Christ in me, he sees white as snow. That's a, an amazing thought. What is, what is lovely? That God would want to spend time with me at all. How lovely is that? How loving is this God, this Father, who sees all of my imperfections, who sees when I screw up so bad, and yet wants time with me? What is commendable? <laughs> that He cares about my day-to-day, that my life has purpose, that in Jesus My life has eternal meaning. What is excellent? That Christ has prepared heaven for us. I can't think of anything more excellent than the idea that there is a place where you and I will go and spend time with our loved ones who believed and with this holy God. And he is going to prepare this place. Think on that for just a bit. Struggling with a little bit of ingratitude. Struggling a little bit with negativity. Remember, there's heaven. There's a hope of eternal No eye has ever seen, no ear has heard this thing that God has done for us. What's worthy of praise? What's worthy of praise is that the Holy Spirit of God, which raised Jesus from the grave, lives in us. The same God that rose, that that, that raised Jesus, walks with you and I. Amazing. You see how this exercise could be helpful for you. And that's just on eternal things. That's just taking it from a spiritual sense. You could take it from a personal sense, which is going to feel spiritual as well. But like, think about the things that are lovely in your life, are just, are true. It's not all bad. If you're a negative Nancy, I can assure you, this exercise will be good medicine for you. Paul says, think about such things. This is the word of God. This isn't just some strange philosophy. Whatever's true in your life, whatever's lovely, put your mind on these things. Set your minds on things above. Will you choose to see beyond what's right in front of you? Perhaps just, perhaps just beyond your view is the goodness of God that you've forgotten or you've overlooked. These sweet things that God has been doing. Choose to set your mind on these things. Will you put your faith into practice? It will be observable. People will know you by it. Will you rejoice in him always? Will you put his gentleness on display? Pray about everything, everything with thanksgiving. And think on his goodness. Maybe that's the two exercises you could take away today. Ask your family, what am I best known for? Describe me with one word. And then spend a little time maybe this evening thinking about what's true. Maybe tomorrow think about what's just, what's honorable. Spend some time considering the goodness of God to you. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that, yeah, we have this wonderful holiday called Thanksgiving where we get together and we we see family and we eat together and there's, there's a lot of wonderful things in all of that. But that's pale in comparison to the Thanksgiving we have for you. That we don't need a one day holiday a year to be thankful. We're thankful every day when we really consider it, when we really step back and say, what has God done? Look what he's done for me. If he did nothing else from this moment on, he would have still done way too much. If nothing else ever good happened to me, God would have already done way too much for me. I was deserving of eternal destination apart from him. I didn't deserve any of what he's given me. Certainly not his love. Certainly not his grace. I'm thankful. Lord, if nothing else today, we are a people who are grateful. 
And I pray that that would really be evidenced in our life. That people would know us by our gratitude. That we would be known certainly for the goodness of God, the gentleness, the grace. But that all begins with a heart of gratitude. With the peace of God, which is with us. Thank you so much for who you are. Thank you so much, Lord, for your love to us. Thank you so much that before I was even born, before I was even a speck, before I was even a thought, thousands of years before any of that, God, you loved me so much. You loved us so much that you sent your son Jesus and you had us in mind. Thank you for who you are. That your love is beyond compare. It surpasses understanding. That your grace to us is unfathomable. I'm thankful for that stuff, Lord. Help me with my thanksgiving. Help, help, help your people, help your church with the gratitude which we often lack. God, I want to also just provide an opportunity today that perhaps you're working in someone's heart. That the reason they struggle with joy, the reason they struggle with peace, the reason they're unthankful is because they've tried to walk through their life on their own by their own power and The idea that the Lord is near is actually haunting. It's scary because they've not ever put their trust in you. If that's you today, my friend, if you've come today and you're hearing from the Lord, hey, come to me. (laughs) Put your faith in me. Walk with me. The Lord is near, and that's a good thing. Our presence is close to you. Will you say yes? Will you put your faith in me? Will you believe? Will you make a confession of faith? If that's you today, you feel the Spirit of God moving in your heart, pray with me this simple prayer. As it says in Romans chapter 10, confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. If that's you today, put a genuine confession before the Lord like this. Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross for me. I believe that you took my brokenness and my sin and my guilt and my shame upon yourself. That you stood in my place I can't think of anything more honorable than that, more loving than that. And Jesus, today I put my faith in you for salvation, for eternity. And God, I believe that you raised Jesus from the dead. And the cross and the resurrection gives me so much hope for my future. God, I'm asking, Jesus, I'm asking now, would you guide my life now? Help me to be known for your gentleness, for your goodness. Show me this joy that comes only in you and through you. Dear friend, we're praying right along with you. Every believer in the room, Lord, give us joy. Show us how to have joy in spite of dark times. Show us where that joy lies. Give us gratitude. Help us to be in prayer about everything. I pray, God, this week you would show up in a mighty way in so many of our lives as we Perhaps begin a state of prayerfulness for the first time in our life. Maybe we've got out of that habit that, God, you would show up. That people would hear from you. They would see you at work in their lives. That prayer would begin to take hold of this church. I pray there would be nothing more wonderful than this to be a church known for prayer. There would be nothing more wonderful than this to be a church known for grace and gentleness. And God, I pray you would do that in us. Move in us, stir in us, help us now. So we leave this place to walk with you. In Jesus' name, amen.